Go ahead. All right, and we're back. Mike Cernovich with Mike Bolin from Mindset Squared. Hi, how are you? It's Mike Bolin. Uh, you can connect with me on MikeBolin.com. How's it going, Mike? So far, so good. Busy day. Hitting the airport tomorrow, flying out to Orlando, going over my new material, new book, new masterclass, staying busy. Fantastic. Well, hopefully you connect with some nice folks down in Orlando. Yeah. Um, you going to spend any time at Disneyland while you're there, or Disney World, I should say? I've never been. Um, I've been to the one in California, but no interest in that. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, we had this episode uh, that we released last week on the law of attraction, which just seems to be a super popular episode. I don't know if it's just the popularity is growing or that topic is really popular and really resonates with people, but a, a nice segue into uh, kind of a different frame of thought, but along the same lines, which I think is very interesting, is this kind of movement that you're starting to see again. Uh, there's a Greek philosopher by the name of Epicurus. And uh, Epicurus has a almost like a pseudo-religion um, called Epicureanism. And, you know, just a little background. So Epicurus, uh, you know, was born in 341 BC, Greek philosopher. Um, and essentially, I think that his dogma, if you will, has been hijacked probably over the past, you know, 30 years or so, because there's now like an Epicurean magazine and things like that and restaurants and that kind of delves into like the pursuit of the good life. And that's a little tiny piece of what he talked about, but really doesn't, you know, capture his whole thesis. Uh, his idea is really that, um, you know, happiness is the ultimate pursuit. But the way that you get there is quite a bit different than, than the way that that uh, thesis has been hijacked today. So I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Epicureanism and uh, what your thoughts are on it. Um, but I think it's, a, it's an interesting subject. Yeah, he was like many in the, the ancient Greek tradition. There was a broad uh, obsession, maybe isn't the right word, but what is the good life? And that was the question that they all were trying to answer, at least in ancient Greek philosophy, and it's one that people have lost sight of today. And Epicurus had his own philosophy and guiding life. And it's been hijacked a little bit, I think only to the extent that Seneca and some of the Stoics have been hijacked a little bit. They had uh, metaphysics and then they had uh, ethics, which are always different. Metaphysics are, could be, for example, I believe God created the earth in seven days and God is above us. That would be metaphysics and he controls the law of the world versus ethics would be Jesus would say, here's how you should live your life. And the Stoics and the Epicureans and even Aristotle had their own metaphysics, but then their ethics were different. And people like myself have taken interest and there is even a, a prona Epicurean to the a certain way of life, the idea that you're enjoying things in life without overindulging as an outright hedonist might. Right. And I think that's, that's kind of where the hijacking came in is that, you know, people think of Epicurean as today it's like fine wine and fine cheese and fine food and, you know, luxury cars and all these things. And he talked about those things. Um, but, you know, he, he kind of broke it into these different pieces, which were, you know, necessary pleasures, you know, um, you know, or, uh, you know, necessary yet simple pleasures. And I guess the part of it 
when you really drill down to it, what resonates with me is this idea that you can have wealth, right? Or you can have things, but you don't necessarily indulge completely in those things. And by just having your simple necessities taken care of, you know, food, water, um, you know, Epicurus lived in a commune called the Garden, which he only had bread, water, and on occasion they would indulge in cheese. And his whole point, I think, is that these relegating yourself to just the simple pleasures of life and deriving pleasure from those things makes the when the luxury good you do have a windfall say where you get a luxury good then that is so much sweeter and your in you know uh, experience is so much sweeter because you're relegating you know the rest of your um wants and desires into more simple things and that really resonates with me because and 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 kind of goes into what we talked about uh, a week ago, which is, you know, you go out and buy a really nice car, right? But, you know, it, it doesn't become a recycled experience. Isn't it really that great? You know, if you drive the Ferrari and then you move over to the Lamborghini, is a Lamborghini really that sweet? Not really, you know, but if you have a, uh, a more normal existence, then you're able to enjoy these finer pleasures uh, to a much higher extent. And that's what really resonates with me. And well, in modern America, you see the difference between an Epicurean and a hedonist or a glutton just by how people eat. And, and the, the French approach is you eat better food, but smaller portions. And in America, we eat lower quality food, but we eat much larger portions. That's why when people say Epicurean, they don't mean drink three bottles of wine and pass out drunk somewhere. Drink nice wine or eat, eat nice cheese, but in smaller amounts because your your sensual enjoyment actually decreases as you become more and more gluttonous. Then it's just chasing neuroreceptors and dopamine and serotonin. Right. So you could have, as an example, you could have Gouda cheese or you could have like a fine Maytag blue cheese or you could have both. But if you just continue to indulge in those, it, the pleasure goes away, right? And and that I, I think is is interesting in that you don't always realize maybe and, and things like this have never resonated with me or didn't when I was younger and they do now that I'm older. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I really like, and it makes me feel more comfortable. I think you can chase the luxury good, but does luxury good really give you that much more pleasure? And it doesn't. It's like when we did the episode where we drank that really great whiskey. I don't drink that every night. Right. right. I mean, and I don't even drink whiskey every night. I mean, usually if I'm going to pour myself, you know, a glass of whiskey, I don't know, I'll have a, you know, like here's a Woodford Reserve, you know, I'll have something like that, which is, you know, 30 or 40 bucks. But it really does make that experience of trying the Yamazaki 18 once in a blue moon or trying the, you know, the Pappy Van Winkle 20. It's a really, really special experience because you're not doing that every day. And if you extrapolate that into the rest of your life, um, it's a really interesting concept that I wish personally I would have been able to grasp this when I was in my 20s and even, you know, early 30s. I don't think it was until like mid-30s I started to kind of pick up on this, uh, you know, just intuitively, not that I was, you know, reading about 
Epicurus, the Greek philosopher, when I was 34, and all of a sudden, you know, I had this, uh, this moment. That didn't happen. But I, I did start to see it from a different angle that, hey, you know, you can work incessantly, you can work a zillion hours a day and, you know, and break your, break your back doing it. But at some point, the difference between having, say, $4 million and $8 million or $8 million and $16 million, your life isn't really changed that much more, right? You get to a certain level where you can maintain where you want to be. And you're enjoying those things. And I feel like that's kind of, you know, a point that I'm at in my life where I can sit down on a, you know, a weekday afternoon, talk to somebody like yourself, have a great conversation and, and have the pleasure of doing that and not have to be, you know, working 80 hours a week anymore. I really enjoy that, that part of my life. And, um, and so that's where, you know, this, this kind of whole feeling of, uh, or this philosophy of uh, Epicureanism kind of comes in, you know, for me, it resonates with me is just because I, I've seen that in my life now, that I really enjoy some of the more basic things, the more simpler things in life. And then on occasion, you do have that windfall or that special thing that happens. And, um, and you know, and it, it's a great experience, but I, it, you know, this week, this very thing happened to me. Um, you know, my partner and I closed on two properties on Monday and we shot a little video and we put it on Facebook and, you know, I, I don't even remember how much we walked out of the title company with. It was like $200,000 or something. It was, you know, a significant amount of money. I don't feel any different today than I did on Sunday. Right. Just doesn't, I don't feel any different. Well, yeah, that's, and that's a concept too, also known as the, the hedonic treadmill, which is, and it works both ways. You, when you suffer a downfall, it's immediately harmful, but then you get used to it. And when you suffer a gain or not suffer a gain, but when you get a big win in life, it's really a big deal at first. And then it just becomes blase another day at the office, what's new. And then the mistake a lot of people make is they keep chasing the dragon. Oh, well, if this deal wasn't big enough, then it must, I must need to do a bigger deal and I must do a bigger deal rather than realizing that there's a declining utility in everything. There's a declining utility in, in dollars. So if you're broke, and cause I mean, you've been broke. We've talked about this before. I've been broke. Sure, I remember yeah. a thousand dollar check. I drove three hours to get a thousand dollar check. And that uh, check was the difference between me being able to, you know, not overdraw my account. So if right. you're if you're at that point thousand dollars you're like oh my god this is amazing ten thousand dollars would be like a waterfall into your life yes. and then but once you're at a certain point where your your happiness level or your contentment level is relative then you you don't get happier but what people do is they keep running faster and faster on the treadmill so it's been proven that the number of people are going to argue with the number but it's been proven that you have to adjust it for where you live obviously but income over $60,000 a year, you're actually not happier. Now in Napa, 60,000 or in LA, 60,000, you obviously have to adjust it and there are other variables, but rather than argue with the exact number, the point is there's a threshold where, okay, you need to meet your monthly nut, right? You're, it's going to be whatever it is. And then enough that if some kind of thing happens, you can cover that. But after that, your dollars are just going kind of abstractly. Even then, like you, you have your kids, you can pay for your kids' college. It's like, okay, like your kids are taken care of. 
you have enough money, you talked about a health thing, okay, so medical bill comes up, and then then you got to realize, okay, so I'm still driving myself to an early heart attack, that's what men do, because I think I want more money rather than pausing and saying, well, do I really want more money, or can I do something more with the money, and then that, of course, too, is why a lot of men find a healthier outlet, and they go in philanthropy and, and other sort of helpful endeavors. Right, so you have this... Uh... Which ties back to the uh, Epicureanism, which is you have these necessary and unnecessary uh, desires, right? So you have unnecessary stuff, which would be like fame, fortune, ultra luxury goods, a Rolls Royce, uh, a Lamborghini, uh, whatever. And then you have these necessary things. And if you get to that level where you're taking care of those necessary things, and this is like, this is such great stuff right here. I mean, we're, this is like super nugget, super gold nugget territory. If you're like in your twenties and you can grasp this, this is really, really, really powerful stuff. Um, so you have these basic needs that you need to take care of, right? It's like food and shelter, uh, you know, what else you got to have, uh, maintain your health, these kind of things, right? So you have these basic things that you need to take care of, but if you take care of those things, so this ties into that $60,000 th uh, thing. So that might be 110 if you live in San Francisco or something, right? But you, you take, you have this baseline and if you can maintain that baseline and then you start to earn more money above that and you invest that money into, uh, you know, and you and I, I know you really, really don't like the passive income thing because you say, hey, there is no passive income. I agree with that, although some things are very, very passive. But there might no, be no, I, yeah, we should, we should pause there because that's a good point. No, th there is such a thing as passive income to a certain degree. I disagree with telling people you're going to have unlimited passive income to live off for the rest of your life if you follow my guru one year course or you take right internet course or something like that. Or the idea that even if you have money, you have to mind it or somebody could steal from you. So in that regard, yeah, yeah. So conceptually, yeah, there is such a thing as passive income, but that concept, like many things, is misused to defraud gullible people. Right. You, you can take almost anything into a far extreme situation. And yes, it, they, it, you're, there is no such thing as truly passive income because you do have to mind your store, so to speak. Um, but for, for young folks, if you can get these basics in life taken care of, um, the way that you can live your life, if you need the $60,000 and you live in St. Louis, Missouri, okay, and you've got 60,000, you could live in a decent neighborhood, et cetera, and then you can squirrel away some money, you can really get to a point where you have this income coming back into you. And then this all ties together with this limiting, you know, these unnecessary desires in your life, going after the basics, taking care of the basics, enjoying pleasure there. I mean, Epicurus, his, his, he said the greatest pleasure was actually derived not from sex, not from romance and love, but from friendship between people uh, the same gender. That you, your greatest happiness actually comes from friendship and, and interacting with those who you're friends with. And I think a lot of people get lost in that hustle, hustle, grind, grind, hashtag, you know, make it happen and all this kind of stuff, especially when they're younger and they don't see that. And then really it's the interaction with other people that's important. And you can set that up to make that easier in your life by taking care of 
your necessary expenses and living costs, et cetera, earlier in life by limiting, you, you know, where limiting your wants and desires. Well, not only that, or just having the self-awareness. So if you believe that, okay, I need to just keep chasing money or chasing, you know, with a lot of men, you, you chase what, you know, fast cars, money, women, that kind of thing. That, that's what people are into. That's fine. It's the, the self-knowledge though. Is this really fulfilling me? Everybody, right? Everybody wants to be, this is a, a Western thing. How can I be happy or whatever? And right. I always say, well, I don't know. Why don't you live a meaningful life? People, because people ask me, are you happy? And I go, well, the question doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I'm not out there chasing dopamine. I'm out there. Am I living a meaningful life? Am I living a fulfilled life? Do I wake up and think, yeah, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing today matters in the world. I'm having impact on the world. I'm living a meaningful life. And that's something a lot of people don't give enough thought to. Are you, are you doing meaningful work and purposeful work rather than am I happy? Because the answer to the question is going to depend on the question. And if you ask, am I happy? I'm not happy. Therefore, you now feel unhappy. And then you want to chase things that you think will make you happy because you've asked a question about a mental state. Whereas I ask, am I doing impactful work? Am I living a meaningful life? Do I wake up and have a purpose, a sense of what I should be doing and a sense of my connection with the world and with humanity and the people around my life? And when you ask a question that way, then you're going to arrive to different answers. Yes. Well, yeah, and how do you feel uh, learning ties into all of that? You know, because I, I know that right now you're putting together a, um, a book review type thing. And that's obviously, you know, it's all about learning, right? And so how, how do you feel that ties in with what we're talking about? I mean, knowledge, just for knowledge's sake, is like, okay, but knowledge to take you somewhere or for a greater happiness, I mean, what, what you know, it, it diverges, I guess, in two places, in my mind anyway, of, you know, why, why do we pursue knowledge? Why do we read books? And what do we derive from that? What are we trying to get out of that? What are you trying to get out of it? I'm lucky. I've always enjoyed learning about the world. That, that's why I, I'm not too snobby about my approach to life because other people, what they do make them happy, it happens to be antisocial and counterproductive. Generally, I, I, people, it makes them happy to go out drinking and get drunk on Friday and Saturday. That never made me happy. That never would have made me happy. I would much rather be reading books and thinking about the world and engaging actively with the world and the universe versus things that pleasure seekers would go after. And that's, so for me, there's, the philosophers would say all knowledge is intrinsically good. Learning, that's another concept too we don't think about. So Aristotelian. I, Ryan Holiday made the Stoics big. I think maybe I'll make Aristotle big again, which is intrinsic good. Knowledge is intrinsically good. It's good in and of itself, even if there's no material purpose to derive from it. And then there's goods that are valuable because they're transformative in some other way. So I can, if I read a book on how to make money, that's a good book because there's a reason for it. It ha gives you an extrinsic benefit. Whereas some knowledge is intrinsically valuable, but it isn't immediately applicable to the world. The example would be if I, like years or 20 years ago, whatever, I read A Brief History of Time, and that was a wonderful book, a beautiful book, but there's nothing there 
that impacted my life. Oh, I read a right. book. I, there's quantum quarks and what's a quark and how do these subatomic particles work? What's going on in the world? I did nothing for me personally that I could use, but that knowledge was good in itself. Now, of course, somebody would, because whenever we talk, I always think about, that's why people love these podcasts and they're different than any other podcast is as we talk, I think about what our audience, which is going to be younger men are doing and they're trying to flip to find some kind of argument. Oh, well, but reading a book is makes your mind stronger. Therefore you're getting an extrinsic benefit. And they try to take you to those reductio ad absurdums, which is why that was another concept from the, the Greeks is you're, you're trying to reduce something to the point that is absurd. And by doing so you're missing the broader point. Right. Some of this stuff seems so simple, right? But it's like, it, but it resonates with you when you hear it. And that's, you know, it's like watching, I guess, maybe that's why, you know, say a TV show like, you know, MSNBC or Fox News, maybe that's why they resonate so much with certain people is it's like you get into that, that echo chamber of just, you know, hearing what you want to hear. But I don't know. It's, it's, Oh, I could easily, yeah, I could easily triple all of my views if I were just a pro-Trump uh, talking head. Oh, the yeah. son of a gun, what he did today was so great. Or if I said, oh, he's evil, impeachment or whatever, because most people don't think. They don't. It's a fact of life. And what we're doing with this podcast and what I do with all the podcasts I do is try to encourage people to think. And by doing that, though, I always want to, as we're talking in my own mind, I'm spinning and thinking, okay, if a person is engaging actively with this podcast, what would be some of their counterpoints or what would be questions that would arise from the nature of the conversation? Right. So, okay. So that, that's really interesting because maybe that's why, and I think that's why, some of these concepts are seem so arcane, right? I mean, we're talking, we're sitting here talking about Greek philosophy, but really it ties into, you know, everything that's going on in life today is as it was, you know, 2,300 years ago, 2,400 years ago. And you're right. There's so many young folks out there and so many people in general that just don't think they're not like at this higher level of thinking about these things and analyzing where they are. And some of it comes certainly with age. I mean, I certainly wish that I would have the insight I have today into some of these things that, you know, when I was 23 years old or something, uh, I'm blessed that I have them now because there's many people my age uh, that and way beyond me that don't have this type of higher level critical thinking about where they are, where they're going, why are they doing what they're doing? Why are you working so hard? Why are you not enjoying it more? Or why are you not working at all if you don't have anything yet? If you can't take care of the most basic needs, why are you not, right? And so this, I think that's why this is, this is resonating um, so much with people is that it's so different than everything else that you see out there. I mean, we're really bringing some really thoughtful, interesting information and a totally different way to look at things because you could get on and be the, the MAGA Trump guy and just rail on that all day, every day, but there's no brain power in that, right? Um, you can get on uh, the internet and bash people, you know, for whatever you want, but are you really 
stepping back and thinking, hey, where is this person in their journey versus where I am in my journey? I mean, I think about that like I was um, uh, Stephen, uh, is it Molinex? Molyneux, yeah, Molyneux. Molyneux, okay. Stephen Molyneux. Uh, you know, he, I, I was reading some of these just atrocious um, folks that, you know, were going after him on uh, something that he recently put out there. And I, and I don't want to get into any of the, of the specifics on that. But it is interesting if you step back and look, it's like, are these people really analyzing what, why they're, why they're, why they hate, you know, what, why do you hate? And why, where does that come from? Because it, it's really a reflection of the person doing the hating and probably not under, even understanding what they're looking at or what they're seeing. I mean, my journey at 47 years old is completely different than somebody's journey when they're 26 years old, right? And, you know, a guy, say, in my business, you know, that owns, say, uh, apartment buildings, you know, he might be struggling to buy a, a four-family today, you know, where I have passive income. And I'm like sitting here, you know, going to lunch, enjoying my life talking to people on the phone, doing a podcast, reading some books, watching some videos, then maybe working on my business for a while. I mean, the cadence of my day is so different today than what it was, you know, for me 20 years ago. And, and that's true for everyone. And so I, I just, I ponder on these things a lot as to where and why people act the way they do or, or do the things they do. And, really it comes down to just a, a complete there there's no culture they're disorganized they're uneducated um and they can't see can't zoom out and see you know the world for what it is and see people for what they are and where they are on their journey well there's no contextualization of themselves within a broader structure a broader story and in America and the West, probably we have an unusual amount of atomization where people are taught to be an individual, but an individual within these collective rules that they're never really sure what these rules are because the rules are never really made overt. You don't learn the rules until you break them or until the rules break you. And rather than teach people, this is again what the philosophical tradition of the ancient Greeks was always about, was contextualizing yourself within within yourself, but within a broader society, culture, family, traditions, and people don't, it's, it's, which is weird because people are simultaneously brainwashed and simultaneously believe themselves to be radical individuals. And that's one of the great paradoxes of our time. Yeah, it is. It, that's very interesting. Probably a, a great place to, uh, to end this discussion. Um, Anyway, it was, it was great uh, chatting with you, and um, we have, I think we're down to, what, two weeks out from going live? Yeah, yeah. Um, yep, and uh, so uh, best uh, luck to you on your uh, travels to Florida. Enjoy that, and uh, talk soon. Perfect, man. Thank you.